You're listening to a podcast series celebrating the 25th anniversary of GINA, the global initiative for asthma. We're in London to interview world-renowned asthma specialists, healthcare professionals and patients, focusing on the issues, objectives and achievements of GINA and to look ahead to the future developments that the next 25 years will bring. In this podcast, we're going to examine some of the new treatments available for severe asthma in both adults and adolescents and speak to Professor Guy Broussel from Ghent University. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Can you first define what severe asthma is? That's indeed an important question. So severe asthma is a heterogeneous disease. But first of all, if you see a patient with persistent symptoms or frequent extubations, you, that's a patient with difficult to control or difficult to treat asthma. And you need to first confirm the diagnosis of asthma and then look for reasons why the asthma is, is uncontrolled. Frequently, this is caused by non-compliance with inhaled corticosteroids or incorrect inhaler technique or persistent allergen exposure in patients with allergic asthma or active of passive smoking and, and other environmental exposures. Once you have optimized the management of asthma, improved inhaler technique and improved adherence to inhaled corticosteroids and long-acting beta-2 agonists, and the patient, despite this optimization uh, of the asthma management, remains very symptomatic and experiences still exacerbations, then that patient has asthma, severe asthma. And severe asthma is heterogeneous. And there are several classifications, different phenotypes, for example, allergic or non-allergic asthma, severe asthma, eosinophilic or non-eosinophilic severe asthma. And the most recent classification is type 2 severe asthma versus non-type 2 severe asthma. And the two most important biomarkers which are used in clinical practice to define type 2 asthma are the blood isophil levels, and the pheno, pheno, which is the fractional excretion of nitric oxide in the exhaled breath. And the combination of both biomarkers is very helpful because type 2 asthma is asthma which is characterized by type 2 cytokines. And the most important type 2 cytokines are interleukin-5, which leads to isenphilia, also in the blood and in the airways, and then interleukin-4 and interleukin-13. And these type 2 cytokines, they induce the expression of an enzyme in the epithelial cells of the airways, which produces nitric oxide and thereby increases the production of nitric oxide, which is then um, measured in the exhaled air as pheno. So an increased pheno level and or an increased blood isophil level is a proof of the presence of type 2 uh, asthma, of type 2 airway inflammation. And for these patients with severe asthma, which is either characterized by isenphilic airway inflammation or increased type 2 biomarkers, we have several monoclonal antibodies which can be used as add-on targeted treatments on top of high-dose ICS LABA, long-acting beta-2 agonist. Unfortunately for patients with non-type 2 severe asthma, currently we do not have any biologic which is targeting that specific uh, patient population. So, Professor Brussel, what are the new drugs for asthma, particularly those called biologics, and who can benefit from those? 
So it's indeed an um, amazing time that there are more and more drugs available for the treatment of severe asthma. So currently we have five different monoclonal antibodies for the treatment of severe asthma. But of course, first things first, before you can label a patient as having severe asthma, you need first to evaluate a patient with difficult to treat or difficult to control asthma. So you need to start with the beginning, seeing a patient with asthma who has still symptoms or experiencing exacerbations. Then you need to evaluate the patient and to confirm the diagnosis, to look for comorbidities and for factors which could contribute to the lack of control in a patient with asthma. And the most frequent causes for the lack of control are persistent allergen exposure or smoking, and especially incorrect inhaler technique or non-adherence to inhaled corticosteroids. So that needs to be checked and corrected. Uh, and as a physician, respiratory physician or primary care physician, you need to follow your patient over time and evaluate whether improving inhaler technique and improving adherence to the maintenance treatment with inhaled corticosteroids and long-acting beta-2 agonists often solves the problem of uh, exacerbations and, and, and symptoms. So it's only a minority of the patients with um, difficult to treat or difficult to control asthma who have actually severe asthma. And in these patients with persistent symptoms and exacerbations, despite optimal treatment with inhalers, correct technique, uh, good adherence, there we have now the availability of five different monoclonal antibodies. One monoclonal antibody is already more than 15 years on the market, which is omalizumab. So I will focus mainly on the novel treatments. So the four other monoclonal antibodies, they target two different pathways. One pathway is the Isenfield pathway, and there we have three monoclonal antibodies, which is Mepolizumab and Resolizumab. Those monoclonal antibodies, they target interleukin-5, they block interleukin-5, which is the cytokine which uh, attracts Isenfields and increases their survival and their activation. And then you have Benralizumab, which is a monoclonal antibody which binds to the receptor for interleukin-5, which is expressed on isenfils, and that monoclonal body depletes the isenfils not only from the blood, but also in the airways. So these three monoclonal bodies, meporizumab, resuzumab, and benralizumab, they are indicated in severe isenphilic asthma. So it's important that in patients with severe asthma, you phenotype the patients because asthma is a heterogeneous disease and especially severe asthma is very heterogeneous um, consisting of several different phenotypes. And these biologics, they are targeted therapies. So they will only be efficacious in patients with the correct phenotype. When you target the biologic to the correct um, asthma patient with the correct phenotype. And then the, the last uh, monocontibody, which will uh, soon be approved also in, in Europe by the European Medicines Agency, and which is already approved by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the US, is uh, Dupilimab, which is uh, targeting the interleukin-4 receptor and is mainly blocking 
the IO4 and IO13 um, cytokines. And these cytokines are involved in IgE synthesis, but also in bronchoconstriction by acting on the smooth muscle cells and also um, implicated in, again, type 2 airway inflammation, which is um, characterized by isnophilic airway inflammation, so increased blood isophils, or an increased expression of pheno. So the pheno is the fraction excretion of nitric oxide, which can be measured very easily in the um, exhale breath of the, the, the patient. And you have, in, on a non-invasive manner, immediately an idea of the type of airway inflammation present in a patient with severe asthma. There are a variety of reasons why people have severe asthma or asthma. Which particular groups within this sphere can benefit most from these drugs that you're talking about? So the current biologics are mainly um, targeting patients with type 2 asthma. Non-type 2 asthma is um, when there's no blood fills, low blood fills, and low phenolethyls. Um, so the absence of isenophilic air inflammation, that's non-type 2 asthma. And for these patients currently, we do not have yet any targeted biologic treatment available. But for patients with increased blood fill levels and frequent exacerbations, um, these patients have severe isenophilic asthma, and these patients can benefit uh, significantly um, by add-on treatment on top of the ICS-LABA uh, inhaled treatment by adding either mebrusumab or rasuzumab or benalizumab, those monocarbons which target the isenfils. For dupilumab, it's a more broader uh, patient population with type 2 uh, inflammation, which is characterized either by increased blood isenfils or by significantly increased pheno despite treatment with inhaled corticosteroids. So inhaled corticosteroids, they decrease the pheno levels in patients with asthma. But if the pheno levels are still above 25 parts per billion, these, that is a sign of persistent uh, activity of interleukin-13 in the airway compartment in patients with asthma. And therefore, it's um, a predictor of response to treatment with uh, dupilumab on top of ics lava. Do you think it's difficult to select which patients qualify for this treatment? For the several biologics we discussed, we do not have head-to-head -head comparisons. So we do not have trials yet comparing the different biologics in the severe asthma uh, patient population. Um, so there's a huge need for performing pragmatic trials for patients who qualify for two or more of these biologics to have randomized control trials comparing two or more active treatments. There are good predictors of response for the, the several biologics we mentioned. So for the uh, anti-L5 and anti-L5 receptor antibodies, there it's mainly the level of blood isophilia and the frequency of exhibitions in the previous year, which are excellent predictors of, of response. In addition, there are also the presence of nasal polyposis and the adult onset of severe eosinophilic asthma, which favor a, res a good response to the anti-L5 or anti-L5 receptor antibodies. For dupilumab, which targets the I4 receptor, 
there is already a label indication for the treatment of uh, atopic dermatitis, moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. And, and this is a comorbidity which can co-occur together with pa in patients with severe asthma. So the presence of comorbidities such as uh, atopic dermatitis and also nasal polyposis in a patient with severe asthma who qualifies for treatment with dupilumab is also an added value. In the past, in step five of the GINA guidelines, chronic treatment was available with corticosteroids. Are biologics an alternative? So absolutely. So in the past, patients with severe refractory asthma experiencing re re repetitive exacerbations sometimes needed a chronic maintenance treatment with oral corticosteroids which have, of course, huge side effects, including diabetes, osteoporosis, uh, skin bruising, cataract, uh, increased risk of infections, tuberculosis, and so on. And so the, these biologics have now clearly shown that in patients with severe corticodependent asthma, you can reduce the dose of our corticosteroids and often also stop the maintenance treatment of all corticosteroids. So at least three of the biologics we discussed have been shown to, in randomized controlled trials, placebo-controlled randomized controlled trials, to be corticosparing, to have a corticosparing effect. And so this is shown for mepolizumab and benrizumab, so both targeting the isenophilic uh, airway inflammation. And then also for dupilumab, then this monocantibody has been shown to have a corticosteroid uh, sparing effect. And of course, in those patients, also in my clinical practice, if you can then taper the dose of oral corticosteroids and even stop that treatment, that's a major uh, advantage for the patient because they will also lose weight and because another side effect of, of oral corticosteroids on the chronic term is, is that the patients gain weight and they can develop sleep apnea and, and diabetes. So many uh, significant and clinically relevant side effects can be prevented. So this is an important message also for primary care physicians that if they follow a patient with severe asthma who still is on treatment with oral corticosteroids, please refer the patient to respiratory physician for optimal um, assessment and then appropriate management and choosing the appropriate add-on targeted therapy with uh, a biologic which can be steroid sparing and be very beneficial for the patient. You must be very excited about biologics and the treatment of asthma through biologics. It's changed everything, hasn't it? In the right phenotype, the biologics can be um, very efficacious, but of course, biologics are expensive and we need to be aware that cost um, is, is an issue. Therefore, in, within GINA, we recommend the use of biologics only in step five, so in the most severe patients, because inhaled corticosteroids and long-acting beta-2 agonists are very efficacious and cheaper. So we, we need first to treat the patients appropriately with uh, the combination of uh, inhaled corticosteroids and long-acting beta-2 agonists. But if despite this treatment, the patient 
experiences exacerbations and is still symptomatic, then you need to look for the appropriate phenotype and to target with the uh, corresponding biologic according to the underlying phenotype. Professor Guy Broussel, thanks for joining us today. The GINA website has a suite of up-to-date, evidence-based documents, booklets, videos, an implementation toolkit and other useful information. If you're a healthcare professional interested in GINA resources for your hospital or healthcare system, or if you have ideas for new resources, please email us via our website, ginaasthma.org. Thank you for listening and for sharing in our mission to reduce the global burden of asthma.